you may open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. A great war is being fought. Even while I speak to you. For your soul. To turn it against the living and true God and the Lord Jesus Christ. A war is being fought. That means there are enemies. That means there are enemies with weapons of warfare coming against you in battle. That means their intentions are not good, but your destruction. And that destruction is to turn your soul against the living God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you think it is impossible to be turned against God in Christ, then what does this text mean? Verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The sin that is inside you, the old man, the flesh, the sin principle, your depraved nature, is so deceitful that it can harden your conscience by searing it and can harden your heart that you would turn back from God and His best for your life to this world and its vanity. The example that is taught here in Hebrews chapter 3 is about that generation in the wilderness that turned back from Canaan and said, we will make ourselves a captain and return to Egypt. In Egypt, they were bond slaves and hated the place. And yet, they said they wanted to return. They turned from the living God through hearts of unbelief. Only two made it from Egypt to Canaan. And their names were Joshua and Caleb. The rest, through unbelief, did not realize God's best for their life. It was God's promised land. It was God that had promised that land. It was God that said He would be worshipped in that land. It was God that had laid out His tabernacle and said, I want it set up in the promised land where you can worship Me. I will be your God and you will be My people. And they turned back through fear of what it would take to take the land of Canaan and through lust for their distorted memories of what Egypt had been like. They actually said, we don't want the promised land flowing with milk and honey because we crave the leeks. Now for those of you that have never eaten leeks, it's an onion-like plant, and it's not very special. But they craved the leeks of Egypt and forewent the milk and honey of Canaan. The city walls built, the wells dug, the houses furnished, the vineyards planted for leeks. 
the gods of Egypt for the God of Israel. It can happen. There's a war being fought right now. And if you think you're greater than those mighty men that came out of Egypt, you're wrong. We are subject to this war. Most are going to lose this war. Most Christians do not fulfill all that they should be and could be for the Lord. Most will lose this war and they're going to lose it voluntarily by succumbing to their fleshly love of the world's things so they never bear fruit like they should. There's only a few Pauls in the history of the world. There's only a few Abrahams. There's too many like Lot and Samson. That can't excuse us so that we choose to be like Lot and Samson, but it's a reminder of how many actually lose this war. The warnings throughout the New Testament are so thorough in describing the multitude of false teachers and those that would follow them. When we look at the the, the churches of Paul, we see so many problems in those churches. When we look at the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we see so many problems there within those churches. We first see this war in Genesis chapter 3. Look at it with me. Genesis chapter 3. There was a war. Now there's a war for your soul going on right now. Are you still thinking about something I said a half an hour ago? You're being foolish. And the devil is throwing that fiery dart at you. You should be listening right now to the words I'm saying from the Word of God for you. We did our duty already. Now our duty is to hear the Word of God and to take heed how we hear. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Half God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. There was a war going on in Eden. And though the place is sometimes referred to as paradise, it was no paradise for our first two parents with a creature like Satan in a form of a serpent unleashed in that garden. Now the Lord could have kept that serpent out of the garden, but He didn't because He had a glorious plan of redemption and a great drama that He was going to play out on the human stage called this earth in which He is going to get great glory for saving you and me. And that's why this happened right here in Genesis chapter 3. But what I want you to notice, that even in that perfect world, even with Adam walking with God in the cool of the evening, and even with two parents that were so innocent they could go naked all day long and it never crossed their minds that there was any awkwardness or shame about the matter because they weren't sinful, there was a war being fought 
of the devil bringing things to the eyes and mind of Eve in order to get her enticed by doing something against the Word of God. And she did. I want you to notice that it tells us in verse 6 that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that is the lust of the flesh. That is when you eat what you shouldn't eat. That is when you eat too much. That is when you eat the fruit that God said you shouldn't eat. But she saw that it was good for food. Food is a lust of your body. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. That is the lust of the eyes. Because it looked so pretty. And women are given to pretty things like ornaments on a Christmas tree. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. It looked like a tree that just might fulfill what the devil had said about it in making her and her husband like gods. That is the pride of life. Discontent with being a wife and the keepers of the garden, they wanted to be like gods. I hope that you know the Bible well enough that you know what Bible verse I'm referring to right now. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17. through 17. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, right here, food, the lust of the eyes, pleasant to look upon, and the pride of life, ye shall be as gods, is the devil's repertoire. It's what he uses to get men into sin. And it worked with our first mother and with our first father. He tried it as well so that you can see this war against the Lord Jesus Christ in the desert of Matthew 4 and Luke 4. The devil, knowing that Jesus was hungry after 40 days of fasting, said, Look at these stones. You can turn them into bread. Food. Bodily cravings. Lusts of the flesh. He's limited, isn't he? Oh, don't get too confident in yourself. The Bible says, Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Because he can bring all kinds of things for your body, for your eyes, and for your pride. He's probably provoked you already this morning by something I said to see if your pride of life is going to well up. Just thinking about you doing that causes mine to well up. We're in a sorry shape, aren't we? Yes, we are. We need a Savior, and we have one. Because I want to tell you about Him. His response to the devil, it is written. A whole lot better than Eve. She should have just said, it is said, thou shalt not eat. Thou shalt not eat. Thou shalt not eat. And He is a God of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I'm not going to turn that into bread because God has sent me out here to fast and prepare myself for my public ministry. Then the devil took him up onto a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world where he could look and see luxury and he could look and see glory and he could look and see riches. And the devil said, if you'll fall down and worship me, all these can be yours because they're given to me to give to whomsoever I will. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil took him up onto a pinnacle of a temple and quoted to him Psalm 91 and quoted it correctly from the King James Bible and said, If you're the Son of God, 
Was he the Son of God? If you're the Son of God, cast yourself off from the temple down there onto the pavement beside the brook Kydron because he's going to send his angels to bear you up. If you're the Son of God, he will. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, It is written for the third time, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, yes, we have a champion. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But he wants to tell you today, by his poorest of ambassadors, that there is a war being fought for your soul right now. And we need to fight that war. And that war is to turn you into a belly worshiper so that your worship of God is unacceptable to him. So that he, as my father explained to the men in the prayer room this morning, will spew you out of his mouth for being lukewarm in his worship. He wants you either hot or cold. If you had any character or integrity, if you're going to live the life of a belly worshiper, then stand up and walk out of here and declare yourself cold. Just walk out and say, I'm cold. We will respect and honor you. We'll send you a gift certificate to Outback where you can get the Bonzer, the 24-ounce porterhouse, so that you can feed your belly. I promise. Anybody right now that will walk out and say, I'm cold. We'll buy you dinner at the Outback so that you can feed your belly. You're going to go home and do it anyway. Belly worshipers. And you know what? We're all tempted to at every hour of every day. We're tempted to it right now while we sit in the house of God. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Some of you want to sleep because you've got the lust of the flesh to sleep. Some of you have the lust of the eyes by looking at some woman three rows in front of you and thinking things you shouldn't. Some of you have the pride of life. Let me go back to what I said already because I like it. You're offended by something I said this morning. It's the pride of life. You felt that I was a little too hard on something or a little too hard on you. Enjoy it. Be thankful for it. When you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, one second later, you're going to say, oh, I wish Brother Crosby had been harder on us. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe this. And that person that was in front of me in line, the questions that he just got asked, I can't answer those questions. Then you'll say, what a pushover I was. I promise you, it's coming. Lord, forgive me and save me. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I know one man who wasn't a belly worshiper. He was the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have to look three rows in, in front of him in assembly of the saints. He had women kneeling and kissing his feet and anointing them with expensive perfume and crying over them and wiping them with the hairs of their head. That's pretty close and pretty intimate. But the Lord Jesus Christ never gave in in the least. He was never a belly worshiper. To have thought a lustful thought about that woman is to be a belly worshiper because you're putting your belly ahead of God. God said don't and you're doing. Your belly is just a metaphorical expression for your body and the lust of your flesh. The lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of life. It's just all wrapped up in that one ugly word called belly because it is such an amusing 
such a critical, such a politically incorrect way to describe people is why the Holy Spirit inspired it. Belly worshipers. When I say belly worshipers, children, and I'm thinking of you, Caitlin, when I say belly worshipers, I'm not talking about that big fat Buddha that sits in Chinese restaurants around town. The Bible isn't warning us not to worship Buddha with his big belly. The Bible's warning you not to worship your belly by doing the things that you want to do, but instead doing the things God wants you to do. That's what he means by belly worship. Because Eve forgot what God told her. She rejected what God told her and said, I want to eat that fruit because it looks good. I think it will taste good. And you know what? It looks like it just might make me as smart as God. And so that was becoming a belly worshiper in the Garden of Eden. Do all of you children understand that, Brianna? We're not talking about Buddha. We're talking about you, your belly, my belly. And belly is just a word for our whole bodies. Are we doing things just for our bodies, or are we doing things because God told us to do them? That's what a belly worshiper is. And there's belly worshippers throughout the Bible. And it's, a, it's Bible terminology. It's Holy Spirit terminology. It's painful terminology. But it's true terminology. It puts sin where it belongs. You are so foolish that you're not even wise enough to worship an idol made of stone. You worship your own belly. Listen, there is more honor in building some glorious statue and bringing something expensive and burning it at its feet than worshiping you or me. At least you're giving credence that there may be some other being in the universe, even though you're representing it by stone. But your belly? You'll let your belly overthrow the Word of God? Your feelings? Your moods? Your desires? Your cravings? Your lusts? Your status? That's a belly worshiper. And I want to deal with belly worship today. This warfare is going on because the Apostle Paul said that it was going to get worse. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I would like you to look at it with me, I'll not preach to you the long message of many sermons about the perilous times of the last days, but let's not forget that we have here an inspired prophetic warning about this war. Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. There's something dangerous happening. And that danger is a war for your soul. A war to turn you away from God. A war to get you so enamored and enticed with the things of this world, you will not amount to anything spiritually. Where are some mighty men of God in this church that are going to stand up and be counted for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at verse 4. And I want the last long clause phrase out of that verse. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Here is a trait of the perilous times of the last days. Christians would become lovers of pleasures. What is that saying in comparing Scripture with Scripture? Christians would be belly worshipers. They would be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Do you get as excited about the worship of God as you do a football game involving your favorite team when they're trouncing your hated football enemy. Do you? 
Do you want to be here as much as anywhere else and more? What pleasure do you love that, that is more important to you than being in the house of God? Your lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God is the warning to us. And it says in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They don't grant the authority, right, and privilege and power to God to dictate the terms of their lives. They choose what they will. Remember, the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 chose wives of all whom they would, and they married the daughters of men. That is a lust of the flesh and a lust of the eyes. Jehoshaphat, that great king, in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, and brother, thank you for preaching on him recently while I was gone, and thank you for making the point that the most deceived man in the context wasn't Ahab, it was Jehoshaphat. What in the world was Jehoshaphat going to battle for with Ahab? And do you know what great error Jehoshaphat made after that? For the pride of life and for the lust of the eyes, his son Jehoram was married to Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And boy, as soon as Jehoshaphat got back from battle, he couldn't get to his door before Jehu the prophet, not Jehu the king, but Jehu the prophet met him and said, Wilt thou help the ungodly? What in the world did you marry into that wicked family for? And so, brethren, the things that we have talked about already this day are very important and they are terms of the battle that we are in. Are you going to be a belly worshiper? A belly worshiper is when the things that you like and the things that please you and the things that excite you whether it be social status or a new house or a fancy car or a better job or kids, encroach on your love of Christ. No godly woman ever allowed her children to even come close to her love of Jesus Christ. They don't even compare. They're not even in the same universe. Just because they have some weak DNA attachment to you? Are you kidding me? What different are they than some little brats born to a Siberian mother? What's the difference? Because they have a little bit better DNA connection? It's only a little bit better. You all come from Noah. It doesn't matter what you pick on. It cannot become our idol. It cannot become our God. It cannot compete with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this warning here. It's so true today. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Is going to the house of God and hearing the word of God preached a necessary evil to you? Is it a burden? Your children are going to know and have you psychoanalyzed as to how much it is a burden to you and a necessary evil and you will drive your children away because they don't see the love for the house of God like they should. There should be nothing as important. I'm thankful For having two parents, there was never any doubt that the things of the Lord Jesus Christ were more important than anything of this world, including me. And that's just fine. That is a great set of parents when they love the Lord more than they love me. You get a parent that loves the child more than they love God, that is one wicked, overbearing, odious mother or father. It's going to destroy you along with destroying themselves. It's hard to imagine a more important topic. It's so simple. 
And yet I want to heap Scripture upon Scripture if the Lord will allow us. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And let's put the things that I've already mentioned from Genesis 3 and Luke 4 before your eyes. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen and amen. Can you understand a commandment to not love something? There's commandments in the Bible for what you are to love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's something we are to love. Here's something we're not supposed to love. Love not the world. And the world, we are not talking about Mount Everest or the Mariana Trench or Table Rock. We are not talking about its dirt and its trees. We are talking about its sinful lifestyle, its attitude, its ambitions, its goals, its measuring of a successful life or not. All those things. It's lust, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's choice to live whatever way it chooses regardless of what God has said. That is what we mean by the world. The world's things, it's toys, it's goals, I'm repeating myself, it's lifestyle, it's philosophy, it's character, it's conduct, it's not for Christians, because it's philosophy, it's conduct. Its character, its lifestyle, its goals, its ambitions are against God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love them both. If you love money, and you just can't wait to make more of it, or if you love children, and you just think they're going to fulfill your life. You are making the things of this world become more important than the things of God. You can't love them both because they are antithetical to each other. Meaning that by definition, they are enemies and opposing extremes on a scale of righteousness, morality, holiness, goodness, virtue, and praise. The world and God are enemies, and they always have been. And they always will be. Until this earth is changed, and all that we will know are the righteous, glorified to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We can use the world and its things, but we're not going to abuse them by allowing them to become so important in our lives that they choke out the fruitfulness of the Word of God. These verses ought to be memorized by children. Love not the world. And then... This verse ought to be explained again. The lust of the flesh. Bodily cravings. What are bodily cravings? Food. Drink. Music. Sex. 
exercise, luxury, so forth and so on. The lust of the flesh, things your body desires to do. Eat, drink, music, sex, exercise, luxury, laziness, sleep in. Your body, the lust of the flesh. What about the lust of the eyes? Looking at women, pornography, looking at houses, cars, clothes, furniture, decorations, accessories, pictures, anything that your eye can look on that you think I need that. And it excites you and it gets you worked up. There's nothing wrong with having comfortable things as long as those things are put in a category of the junk of this world that's all going to get burned up in comparison to the God of heaven and the glory that will never be burned up. It's just a different set of priorities. But they're opposite each other. What is the pride of life? It's having a title at work. It's making more money. It's having more money in the way of assets. It's accomplishments. It's successes. It's the praise of men. It's defending yourself. It's I'm not going to let anyone public... I'm not going to let anyone embarrass me. I'm not going to let anyone criticize me. It's what wells up and wants to fight. It's the pride of life. And those three things are in you. And they're at war against God. And they're out to destroy you. And they will destroy you unless you put up a valiant fight. And so how do we fight? Well, we start right here. Love not the world. Don't love this world and its things, its ambitions. Don't listen to them. Don't read their magazines. If you're going to read Forbes magazine, then read through it quickly and gather material from it that's going to benefit you in analyzing businesses. But don't let their philosophy, their lifestyle, the the lifestyles, the rich and famous that are in Forbes magazine and presented better than any other business magazine, entice you. Realize that God's going to burn the whole thing up. It's not going to matter whether you are the chairman of Citicor or not. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he's not going to care. The chairman of Citicorp and the board of directors of that illustrious bank from New York that doesn't know how to make money and has to be bailed out by our federal government is going to be held accountable just like every other person. Don't let that stuff deceive you. If you let it deceive you and you want to be great and you want to be this and I want to get this title and I want to be respected when I walk into church. I want to be the successful Christian businessman. You're a belly worshiper. If the Lord makes you a successful Christian businessman, that's one thing. But if you go out after that, you are a belly worshiper. The only thing you should be concerned with is being a successful Christian. Then if the Lord adds the successful business on top of that, we'll praise His name. When we refer to Abraham and Job as being rich, those two men never sought the riches. They sought the worship of God, and God made them rich. They were successful Christian businessmen. And I hope you understand when I write a proverb commentary or I say what I'm saying, what I mean by it. There's nothing wrong with a successful Christian businessman that God makes one. Your goal is just to be a successful Christian because the Bible warns about setting your affection on riches. These three things that are right here were what the devil used against Eve in verse 16 in the Garden of Eden. They are the things that the devil used against the Lord Jesus Christ when he was tempted in the desert. 
all that is in the world. That's all there is. You can take everything that's out there and put it in one of these three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it'll get it. I love the Word of God when it's able to summarize things for us so that I can get my hands around it. I can think in terms of rows and columns and see three columns called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then I can start listing the things in your life or the things in my life. Oh, it gets ugly. It gets ugly real fast. Because next to those three columns are the love of the Father. And so you start putting down your hobbies, your desires, your fantasies, your dreams, your shopping list of things that are going to make you happy. And see which box you have to check off. I love this because it's the love of the Father in me. Uh Uh-uh. Sorry. Erase. Move over any one of the next three columns. And we need to do that about everything in our lives or we're a belly worshiper. And we're letting those ugly things reach up into our hearts, into our minds, into the strength of our souls, and steal away the number one love that we ought to have, the number one love we should only have, and that is of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the things of heaven. These things that are in verse 16 are contrary to the Father. He is a spirit and he seeks spiritual worship in truth. I hope you notice the last half of verse 15. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is how you can tell whether a man loves God or not. What does he talk about? What does he think about? What does he get excited about? What does he want to spend his week doing other than what he, what he has to do? When he has discretionary time, how is it spent? If he loves the things of this world, it doesn't matter what he says or how well he sings. Oh, how I love Jesus. He loves this world and the love of the Father is not in him because those two things are opposites. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so if you let the world creep in and become important to you, pretty soon you will despise simple assemblies of God's word being preached and singing being done in a little church like this. And it's not because we're not as exciting as we should be. It's because you have shifted your eyesight from upward to downward and you're looking at your little belly button and you're getting excited about your little things in this life and it's choking out the word of God and destroying you because they are enemies and God is turning to be your enemy because you are flirting with his enemy, which is this world and its things. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, no matter how good it looked for food and no matter how pleasant it was to the eyes, And no matter how much Eve may have deceived herself that it could make her wise, should never have competed with her love for her Creator. She should have been so in love with her Creator that she would have just shut that devil down at the first approach and said, not a chance. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, he is a belly worshiper, and the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and this is all that there is, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. All these things, 
as you look at the rows of your life, the things you do, the things you think about, the friends you have, the music you listen to, and you check off whether it is of the Father or of the world, all those things of the world are going to get burned up. They're all going to go away. But he that doeth the will of his Father, the will of God abideth forever. He's going to last forever. And he is going to be with the God that he has set his affection on. He being no belly worshiper, but a true worshiper of God, will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will have much more to say after our break. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.